0: Hello and welcome to The Drive Podcast. Ted Henley is off for a couple of days. I'm your guest host, Jalen Nye. We have some great conversation on our show today, so let's get right into it. You know, there's been a lot of talk about this over the past week and reaction continues to to pour in over that surprising and somewhat controversial firing of longtime CTV National News anchor Lisa Laflamme. Laflamme said she was blindsided by the move. Of course, there's been talk of challenging workplace dynamics, but also plenty of outrage fueled by allegations that Laflamme was let go to executives disapproving about her decision to let her hair go grey. Bell Media has since announced that it would be launching an internal review over the entire debacle and it sparked another conversation about the uh, pressures and the negativity female broadcasters deal with from viewers, listeners and management alike. Our next guest knows it all too well. Linda Steele is a 35-year veteran of television and radio, known as her time as a broadcaster with Global Edmonton, CTV Vancouver, CBC, and our sister station CKNW in Vancouver. Her new show, Steele and Vance, is set to launch on Czech TV in B.C. on September 8th. Hi, Linda. Welcome to the show. Hello, girlfriend. How you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm great. It's great to hear your voice. I've missed you, my friend. I know me too. All right, but you're going back onto TV. You're going like, you, 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 from the from the fire right back into the fire f- frying
1: plant frying pan, Linda. I must be insane. You know, it was such a joy to go from TV, where everybody was on you about your hair and your edges and your lipstick, to go to radio. When suddenly they couldn't see you, and it was about what you're saying and what your opinion is. So in a way, that was great to have that sort of cloak of anonymity when you walk down the street in Vancouver and people are like, hey, wait a minute, didn't you used to be on CTV? Aren't you that person who used to whatever? So, yeah, radio was actually kind of cool. But here I am. I must be nuts going back into TV, but I'm actually looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward
0: to seeing you back on the air as well. Linda, what what was it like? I mean, for a long, long time, you manned the desk here at Global Edmonton as a 6 o'clock news anchor, along with Gord Steinke. And uh, we worked together for a hunk of that time. And um, yeah, I mean, what was it like? What was the reality of it? uh when it came to when it came to i mean my gosh we were there telling the news your job as a journalist to tell the news but it seemed like that was second to a lot of other things
1: well and you know exactly what i'm about to say because you experienced it too the reality was in tv there was way too much focus on your appearance So nightly, we had our night assignment editor would have to pick up the phone during the newscast, where mostly I'll add female viewers would call in and say, that woman's hair, she looks like a prostitute. So-and-so, she's put on 10 pounds, she's fat. I can't stand that lipstick. Who approved that outfit? And it was just a tirade just a steady stream of calls. And this was really when Twitter was in its infancy, Mm -hmm. thank God. So people had to make an effort to actually be really rude and cruel, and they would phone routinely or snail mail some two-page, wobbly, handwritten letter about how much they couldn't stand you and they didn't like the way you dressed or whatever. I mean, it was relentless. And I'm only saying that with the proviso that it was a great job and – 98, let's say, percent of the people and the viewers either maybe thought something, didn't like that dress, but I don't feel the need to actually reach out and attack you for it. I'll just let that pass. Most people don't say anything, but there were sure a lot of people who felt um, inclined to have to reach out and be nasty.
0: And, you know, and to be honest with you, you know, there were kind of rules that we had to follow as well that uh, that came from the company, uh, too. I mean, that that was just fact. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was, you're, you're in some cases hair and sometimes you can't wear that on air. I can remember someone telling us once don't wear too much lip gloss. You don't want to look like you just came from a barbecue, you know, eating. <laughs> eating ribs and it went on and on and on and I mean and some people listening might be poo-pooing this thing okay you know what the appearance is part of the job though I mean that's part of being on TV but it shouldn't take over the conversation should
1: it well let me say two things one is that I works alongside Gordon Stackey, who I love for 20 years my co-host And I can recall exactly once when he sat at his desk and listened to a voicemail and his face sort of collapsed and I said, what was that? And he was really hurt and it was a woman who'd gone on and on and on for a minute or so to rail about a tie that he was wearing that she didn't like and his feelings were really hurt. And I felt sorry for him, but in my, my thought bubble was like, yeah, you don't know the half of it. <laughs> so, I mean, the guys just didn't get the same kind of scrutiny. They could wear a black suit, a gray suit, a navy suit. They could just rotate them and switch out a tie, and nobody cared. Nobody said anything. Their hair was short. Unless they grew a mustache or a beard, no one said a word. It was the women in television who were routinely attacked for their looks And, Jalen, you know as well as I do Mm. that you don't get hired for the top job because you're some sort of supermodel. Mm -hmm. You got hired for the job because you're a journalist, you're skilled, you're a good communicator, you're a mentor and a leader in the newsroom. That's your job. And, yeah, you don't want to have, you know, three teeth and a lazy eye or what have you. You don't want your appearance to be distracting, but somehow the audience got this idea that unless you were a supermodel then there was something wrong with you.
0: You know, at one point I thought things might have been getting better. I looked at, you know, the national news and I saw women, you know, headlining the national news, you know, Donna Frieza and Lisa Laflamme, just to to name a few. And then I see kind yeah. of, you really know, what's happened recently and I and I wonder if we've been set back a little bit. It, it, has it gotten better or is it getting worse?
1: I was so thrilled. I wrote a column for the Edmonton Journal once about the fact that finally, I think there was a period of time where all the major networks in Canada had female news anchors in the key position. And I thought, yeah, ladies, it's finally our time. But I think that what happened with Lisa Laflamme, and I'm going to say I don't think her dyeing her hair gray or letting it go gray was the reason she was let go. I really don't. But because they haven't been transparent about it and she hasn't been able to talk, probably because of a non-disclosure clause, we're left speculating. Was it ageism, sexism? Was there misogyny? Was it a diversity play? They wanted to go younger, have a BIPOC host. Was she too big for her pants in the newsroom? Mm-hmm. Was she too forceful, too much of a leader? Did she say, no, we're doing it this way versus that way, which, by the way, is her job. Mm-hmm. So it, I'm, we're left Speculating, but clearly they made a decision that has blown up spectacularly in their faces.
0: Linda Steele joining me this afternoon. Before I let you go, Linda, I mean, you know, the, the appearance, um, you know, the tweets and the, and the emails and the phone calls aside, we have seen a horrifying rise in the increase of violent oh threats, violent yeah. threats, racist threats, um, you know, mainly towards uh, female broadcasters and BIPOC broadcasters. Yeah what goes through your mind when you're reading these letters i've seen these letters they've been posted to twitter by the by the the, by the journalists who are receiving them i mean what the what the what is going
1: on well i mean i've actually received some i saw some of these uh, female journalists and media people tweeting out screen grabs of some of the most horrific criminal violent sexually uh, racist uh just you name it Stuff that you're like, what? All Mm -hmm. kinds of offensive language. And I tweeted back in defense of this woman just saying, this is disgusting. Mm -hmm. It's criminal. It's got to end. And within minutes, I received a couple, I believe from the same person, full of the C word Mm. and the suggestion that I should, for my show, it should be on a gallows and I should break my neck and I should be dead and everyone was going to laugh. And I'm just thinking, What? I think it is the rise of the extreme right, this group of people that believe that somehow their lives are being restricted, and it's women's fault, and it's, you know, BIPOC uh, media in particular. There's a real hate on for the media right now, and in particular for women and people of diversity and color. And I just think that something has to be done about it, because what they're saying is Criminal and yeah. disgusting.
0: It is absolutely disgusting, and we saw the Canadian Association of Journalists put yeah. forward a letter recently, and a lot of calls for, for you know, people to stand up and do more. And I think the companies that um, yeah, that everyone's working for need to take a stronger stand as well. Linda, without a doubt, you're going to have plenty to talk about when your oh, new yeah. show kicks off on uh, Czech TV <laughs> Thursday, September eighth. Linda Steele, Jody Vance, two of my favorite uh, journalists uh, of all time. Steely, one of my best friends uh, on the planet. Yeah, yeah. Great to talk with you this afternoon. Thanks for doing this.
1: Thanks so much, my friend. Have a good day.
0: Yeah, talk to you soon. Linda Steele joining us this afternoon. Exciting times for an Indigenous designer from the Sina First Nation just west of Calgary. She is heading to New York City next month to showcase some of her collection in the Rise New York Fashion Week event. It's uh, all about, and the event is for emerging and diverse talent, gives them an opportunity to show off their wares to global audiences of press stylists, retailers, and influencers. Stephanie Crowchild says her goal is to create a fashion Brand while raising the profile of indigenous clothing and art. Stephanie joins us this afternoon. Hey, Stephanie, welcome to the show. Hi, Dana Dada. How are you? I'm fantastic. How excited are you? I'm very excited. (laughs) How did this all come about? How did you get noticed and get the invite to go to New York?
2: I think it all stemmed from just. Building my own profile online and, you know, a lot of the social media such as Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, like, has really helped artists get a lot of exposure. So with myself, I just started posting photos and next thing you know, I'm, you know, teaching people how to make their own. uh, I'll be featured in the October issue of Cowboys and Indians magazine and uh, just, you know, heading to New York. And it, I think it all really stemmed, to from just building connections with um, another organization that's actually out of Texas. They're called Women of the West. And from Women of the West, that's where I, I for networking, and um, that's how I actually got the connection to be on Cowboys and Indians magazine.
0: Very cool. So Stephanie Eagletail Designs—that's the Facebook page where people can can find you and then take a look at uh, some of these. Um, well, you know, y- you make a number of things, but a lot of folks are talking about your coats these days. Tell us about yeah. these. Tell us about these coats. Are they called Pendleton coats, or? the Pendleton blanket and the HBC blanket is what the coats are made. Like, can you just give me a little background on that?
2: So the Pendleton woolen mills company, like they distribute blankets, you know, throughout the world. And Hudson's Bay, you know, same thing. They distribute. They're actually, um, it makes it a little difficult because they're competitors. Yeah. (laughs) But I, I utilize the wool, right? Um, with the Pendleton, I love the, the very geometric, you know, all the designs, the colors. They use a lot of indigenous designs through other, you know, indigenous communities. And so what I do is I, I completely cut up the blanket mm. into, into pieces that fit the body. And and just bring it together and, and create you know a custom piece for for whoever is wanting to put in that order. Um, also with the Hudson's Bay, it's the same process. I just I cut it up and make it into my own work of art
0: you know what Stephanie there's there's a little bit of um, I don't want to say backlash or even controversy I don't think that's the right word but there's a there's a you know in history there's a a tense relationship between you know the Hudson Bay Company and indigenous communities across this country how have you balanced that um, with um, and with making your your designs out of their blankets
2: well, for me, uh, sewing is a healing process or revitalization, and a way of reclaiming my identity as a as an Indigenous woman. And when I when I'm cutting up a Hudson's Bay blanket, it gives me a sense of decolonization, um, but also it's a, you know it symbolizes that we're still here. So when I create a custom piece and somebody's wearing it, like such as my late grandfather Fred Eagletail, he he was actually my inspiration to start making Hudson's Bay coats. It was because he, you know, would do events throughout Calgary, throughout Southern Alberta, and he was a very prominent elder uh, and also bundle keeper for Sutina Nation, but. He wore it with pride, and I always wondered, like, you know, like, how come, how come you're wearing that, you know, with the, the dark history? And it just dawned on me that he was, he, he's such a proud, you know, he had that real warrior mm-hmm. that just made him stand out to show people that we are still here, and it's time for everybody to open their minds and their hearts. We look into reconciliation, you know, and and I'm glad that you know Hudson's Bay is now starting to, you know, open their minds and their hearts to to reconciliation with Indigenous communities.
0: You started sewing when you were young, then then got away from it, and then you came back to it during the pandemic. Was it a was it a way for you to 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 get through the pandemic, Stephanie?
2: it was yeah like nothing else to do but to you know isolate and stay home so i i picked up sewing again and i kind of had to do you know a few practice blankets to kind of re- memorize the initial pattern from when i was 17 and then to remember every step it just it just started coming back to me but i you know i did a lot of prayer and a lot of smudge to just kind of help utilize my my memory skills back too
0: uh-huh. <laughs> Stephanie crowchild joining me this afternoon what's it like for you to be making these um, these um, pieces of clothing that have such tradition um, in indigenous culture and and to be able to wear them and now having them going you know front and center in New York
2: well I feel uh, I feel like my work is designed for very powerful women, you know, for those who like to stand out and show their strengths through their style, but not just women, like men, children. And I'm just so honored and I feel very grateful, very blessed to be able to have the opportunity to showcase my work and to create unique pieces for for anybody.
0: We are seeing um, more Indigenous artists having their work highlighted, you know, in places like New York and during uh, the New York uh, Fashion Week. What's that telling you about uh, where we are uh, and how things are moving forward or not, Stephanie?
2: I feel like we're in that generation of, like I said, reconciliation, and, um, you know, I'm a third-generation residential school survivor. So my grandparents went, and my parents went. And, you know, because of the atroc- atrocities stemming from the residential school, it stopped my parents from being able to express and to be proud of who they were. So with my generation, I feel like we're the ones reclaiming yeah. our identities, and being proud and and wearing what our ancestors once wore.
0: yeah, yeah re- returning to roots right i hear that a lot about you know rediscovering returning and allowing that to to you know rediscover and and, and ground yourself and, and 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 find out more about about you your family your culture all of that that's a, that's a part of it all isn't it stephanie it sure is. Uh, well, your designs are absolutely stunning, and I, I w- I've just been on your on your Facebook page and uh, Stephanie Eagletail Designs and uh, the jackets, absolutely gorgeous. Here's a question for you, Stephanie, and and I, you know, and I think some people there's well, I think there's a lot of people out there that you know want to wear something that maybe that that you've designed or or something that has an indigenous background, but as a you know as a as a how. How is it as a as a, white, as a white woman? Is it okay for me to wear it?
2: Well, I feel there's certain pieces that cause, you know, the cultural appropriation, yeah. um, which I understand, you know, such as Abs- the headdress. Absolutely. You know. Definitely with the headdress. That's um, a very sentimental, uh, traditional piece that would kind of raise of a little course. bit of concern. But with my coats, specifically, I always encourage people to, you know, be proud and to kind of support cultural appreciation and to, to wear my coats with pride. And I have no, you know, no set race that is allowed to wear my pieces. Like, like I say, like I make them for, for anybody yeah. and woman. And I'm just, you know, I would just be honoured and proud to see non-Indigenous people wearing my look as well.
0: You know what, Stephanie, I've always, uh, you know, one of the things that I've, I've thought when it comes to this is, you know, find out the background, learn about it. And so when someone asks, you can tell the story of that piece as well. I think that is really important. That's a really important part. Of it as well. Stephanie, all the best to you in New York. I'm very excited for you. I can't wait to see what happens next. Look forward to uh, seeing more of your designs. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, hi. See you, Scott. Take care now. Stephanie Crowchild joining us. She is a fashion designer from the Tsitsina First Nation uh, near Calgary. Off to New York where her her fashions are going to be displayed if you want to check them out. Absolutely gorgeous coats. It's Stephanie Eagletail Designs. She makes more than coats, but that's what uh, she's kind of been in the news for lately. of albatross, a hole in one in the game of golf. For most golfers, the odds of making a hole in one are 12,500 to 1.
3: Oh, he shoots, he oh, oh man, that was so much easier than putting. I should just try to get the ball in one shot every time. Good play.
0: The odds of hitting two holes in one in the same round Well, the odds change dramatically. They sit at 67 million to one. So knowing that, what do you think the likelihood is for a 14 year old golfer who just started playing last year of making two holes in one, in one tournament? Well, I can tell you numbers have never been my thing, but golf has certainly proven to be our next guest thing. Adele Sanford joining me this afternoon. Hi Adele, welcome to the
3: show. Hi! Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? Are you still pretty excited? I am in so much shock, but I am very
0: excited. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just when I read the story last night, I was just I was like, "You go, girl!" This is so amazing. <laughs> so two holes in one in one game in uh, in a in a in a competition in a what do you call it? A championship? A club championship? Let's go back a little bit. You started just you started golfing last year?
3: Well, I used to live in the Caribbean, uh the US Virgin Islands, and that's where I did a couple summer camps and I would do little camps and but like I just started actually taking it seriously last summer. So,
0: just started taking it seriously last summer. Had you ever gotten a hole in one before this? <laughs>
3: No, I've never had one or
0: seen one. Or or seen one. So how was your golf game up until yesterday? How would you describe it?
3: It was pretty average for me. Um, I usually get very nervous in tournaments because this is my third ever tournament. So I'm not used to the pressure. But, yeah, I just, I walked up to that hole and it was just, a great shot and it turned out to be good (laughs)
0: well yeah apparently okay so adele sanford joining me this afternoon she she got two holes in one yesterday in a club championship in canmore so adele the first hole in one was on the the 12th hole right yeah tell me about that hole tell me about getting up there and teeing off and and watching that ball
3: well, my whole my whole group was with me and I was the last to hit. And some of them were on the green, some were just off, and I thought, okay, well, I'll just get on the green and I'll be good. And I remember seeing it in the air after I hit it and watching it fly through and I thought, okay, that'll I that'll be playable. Um and then it hit a very it was a very weird green, like very hard but it hit a lucky bounce and rolled in. I was very lucky with that bounce.
0: Did you realize it had gone in at that moment, or did did someone else
3: say, hey, it's a hole-in-one? No, it was a very open hole, so we could all see it easily go in. But, yeah, I honestly, I didn't know what to do. I just stood there and smiled. (laughs) (laughs) And so the people that you were golfing
0: with, I'm sure they were telling everybody as you made it to the 13th hole and the 14th hole, hey, she just got
3: a hole in one. Oh, my gosh. I don't think we passed anyone without them telling them. (laughs) But, yeah, they were jumping up and down and giving they were
0: loving it <laughs> okay so that was the 12th hole you approach the yep. 15th hole and you teed off again tell us about that hole
3: yeah my whole group was like imagine you get another hole in one that'd be crazy and this hole was very open so there were only eight other kids in the club in this tournament um and that other group of four was right there when I was teeing off so they had heard about it and they all watched it go in and it's just that was a crazy hole because that one it didn't hit a lucky bounce it just landed right um right at the start of the hole and rolled in it was it was perfectly straight
0: uh, okay so like i'm speechless just listening to this adele i mean <laughs> what was your reaction after that one
3: honestly <laughs> i had this about the same reaction i just put my hands over my head and was in disbelief because i didn't <laughs> i couldn't believe it
0: did you finish the tournament
3: Yes, I didn't want to. I wanted to just leave it there and <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, and um, yeah. How did you do in the tournament overall?
3: Um, well, I'm not a big. I don't play a lot of eighteen holes, so okay. I shot my best my best score. Good for you uh, for eighteen holes, which was the ninety two. But um, yeah, <laughs> good for
0: you. That's fantastic. Yeah. So Adele, I think your mom's a bit of a golfer, eh? Yes so what did yeah. what did your mom do? What did she say when she found out about it?
3: Um, she was actually probably the last person to find out because she was out of self-service for <laughs> a while, and she found out around six o'clock, and <laughs> she honestly she believed they got one, but the person that told her in the car ride is not a golfer, and they know nothing about golf. <laughs> so when she said, "I got two. My mom was like, no way. I don't think you know what you're talking about.
0: (laughs) Adele Sanford joining me this afternoon. 14-year-old golfer who hit two holes in one in a championship uh, in a club championship round yesterday afternoon. Okay, so if I remember correctly because everyone in my family likes to golf, when you get a hole in one, I think you're supposed to buy a round of drinks for everybody back at the clubhouse. Obviously, you're too young to do that. So, did you have to do anything or did they do anything for you,
3: Adele? Um, I did get one drink on the house. <laughs> I actually well, no. Well, it was a Shirley Temple. Yeah, of course. So. <laughs> but um, I did have a couple of grown-ups come up to me and say, "I would buy you a drink, but you're too young." <laughs> so,
0: are you, are you, do you do you love playing golf? Is you do you have a a, a dream of becoming a, a pro golfer, Adele?
3: I do. That would be a dream come true um, to make it. But, um, yeah, I just want to play college golf and continue playing. Who's your favorite but golfer? We'll Brooke Henderson. Ah, from Smith
0: Falls, Ontario. <laughs> yes. She's been playing really well lately. Um, so yeah. do you feel like there's pressure on to get a, another hole-in-one next time you're out, or are you going to feel like, oh, my gosh, I, what if I, I'm going to do this again? What if it never happens again? <laughs>
3: Yeah, my first one was like, holy smokes, I'm very happy with this. But then after my second one, I was determined to get a third. (laughs) But I knew... I knew that wasn't going to
0: happen, but hopefully one day I'll get another one. Hopefully one day, Adele, I'm going to be watching you on TV, (laughs) cheering you on, saying I interviewed her the day after she got two holes in one (laughs) and when she was 14 years old. Adele, thank you for sharing your story this afternoon. Appreciate it. Have fun with the golf and, uh, yeah, show them how it's done, okay? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you betcha. That's Adele Sanford. Can you believe that? Two holes in one, in one match. She started playing golf last year. Seriously. It's amazing. One in 67 million chance of doing that. Two in one game.
3: Wild.